Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. If I say the name Montgomery Scott, do you know who I'm talking about? Also known as Scotty. I love the Star Trek movies. I like the new ones. I like the old ones. I love Scotty. His accent, something about that accent. I think my family's partially from Scotland. That must be why it, it uh, rings uh, the bell in my heart of love for that accent. But anyway, and at just about in every one of the old movies, there is a point in each movie where a hasty repair to the enterprise has to be made because the crew's life depends on it. And Captain Kirk or whoever else is there, they're going to say, you know, they'll call down to engineering, Scotty, I need more. And what does he always say? I, I can't do it. I don't have the power. Or I've given her all she's got, Captain. And I can't give her no more, you know, and it's just like everything's in dire straits and what's going to happen. They're going to blow up. The Klingons are finally going to defeat the, the Federation. When I read Romans chapter 12 and verses one and two, I'm not thinking about Scotty, but it does help me relate to what Paul is calling us to, which is giving all of ourselves to Christ, giving all that we are, being all in, in Christ. In our text it's exactly what Paul is calling all men and women of the church in Rome, the believers who are in Rome who've been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, those who stand justified by his grace. This is what he's calling them to do. Give him all you've got. Or as Paul says, be a living sacrifice. Verse one, I appeal to you therefore, Brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want us to look at these three, three commitments this morning in, in the text. We may just get through the first one, and we'll cover the, the other two next week if uh, time runs out on us. But here is uh, the point. Paul is setting the stage for the rest of the letter of Romans. And by doing that, he's giving us at least three commitments to what following Jesus looks like. The life change that comes in, verses, in chapters 1 through 11, we now see a call to be a living sacrifice for the rest of the letter to the church in Rome. A life change that happens in us when we surrender to Christ, that his grace and mercy bring to us who call on the name of Jesus. Paul turned a corner in this chapter, right? He's presenting for us an outline of Christian living that should exist and should, uh, it comes forth from a knowledge of trust in the gospel, trust in Christ Jesus, which he spent the first 11 chapters explaining for us. These first two verses are a summary, really, I think, of the first 11 chapters. 
Some would disagree with that, but that's okay. But I think by and large, most would agree that verses one and two are a summation of the first 11 chapters. Why didn't he just write the first two verses then and save us a whole bunch of time, right? But then you wouldn't have the beautiful Romans road. You wouldn't have Romans chapter three, Romans chapter six, all of the great writing that he put in the first 11 chapters. So that's why. But if one thing holds true, my friend, if you have encountered Christ, if you encountered the gospel, you've got to present to him all that you are because it is rational. It is our, our, our spiritual act of worship. Let's pray as we go into this any further. Our Father, as you are high and exalted in heaven this morning and every day, Father, I pray now that as we have opened your word and heard from it, the Bible, that you would make its testimony come alive to us. Father, it is my prayer that you would show us who we are and that you would display our Savior for us and that your word would accomplish your plans and purposes for us, your church. Father, it is my prayer that you would guide our thinking and that you would guide my words. In Jesus' name, amen. So these two verses offered for us by Paul are a call or an urging by Paul to be all in be totally committed to God. And there's these three commitments that I want to share with you this morning. First off, where we're going to spend most of our time is commitment number one, which is to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Paul makes that claim or that commitment to that call in verse one. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. As he's turning from that great foundational theology of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone in those first 11 chapters, now he gives us what we think and what we see as a practical steps of living out that gospel, that grace, that mercy in the church and as followers of Jesus. As we repent of our sin and we trust in Christ, this is what the next step looks like. So a first importance for Paul is this verse positioned in, very, uh, in verse 1 that's going to draw a conclusion for us. What is the motivation for Christian living? What is the motivation for following Jesus? I mean, now that I'm saved, isn't that all there is, right? Is this the get out of hell free card like we find in Monopoly that we love so dearly when we get it in that little stack? If we can finally, we don't have to pay our money or roll doubles, we can use that card and get out, Right? That's not all there is to this life of following Jesus or salvation. There's so much more because Jesus is Savior and Lord. This is the Lordship part. So look at verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, I appeal, I urge, I beseech you. Friends, that's not a wish. It's not a passing thought. But on the other side of that, Paul's not demanding this kind of command. It's not to that level of do this or else. It's not that. But Paul is coming at you this morning with an appeal from God. It's still a command, but it's not to the level of, if you don't do this, you know how we try to rule our children, dads. But I appeal to you, I urge you, I beseech you. We have to resist the temptation to think, well, if it's not a demand or that level of command, do this or else, then I don't have to take it seriously. The exact opposite is true because it is an appeal from God through Paul. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, 
hey guys, I've got a couple of ideas for you this morning on this fine Sunday morning, and I want you to go away and think about it this week and come back next week. Go away and consider them, and you know, it'll be good for you if you follow them. But it's your choice, right? That's not what Paul is doing. I urge you, I appeal to you. It is interesting that that appeal, that urging, is the, the root word that is, forms this is the same root word of our comforter, our helper, our counselor, the Holy Spirit. That's the level of where Paul is going. It's as if the Spirit himself is speaking to us here in this moment. I urge you, I appeal to you. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't demand. He doesn't hold, us, hold it over us. If you don't do this, I'm going to put you back in chains, or I'm going to put you in the stocks. You remember those where you see the old pictures of people hanging out? You know That's not what the Spirit does. He doesn't work, over, work us over heavy-handed like that. But rather, the Spirit comes alongside us to help us. And, and rather than demanding, he exhorts, he urges, he comforts, he counsels us, he directs us. And that's where Paul is coming from. I appeal, I urge, I beseech you. I appeal to you, therefore. Therefore, is, uh, always wants, uh, we always want to pause for a moment and say, what's it there for? That helps us understand what he's talking about in relation to what? In relation to the first 11 chapters. In relation to the foundation that, uh, that Paul has laid out for us, that salvation is by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Now, therefore, I urge you, I appeal to you. What is that appeal, appeal based upon? That appeal is based upon the mercies of God. That's what the first 11 chapters are all about. It took him 11 chapters to write about the grace and the mercies of God. <laughs> That's why we have those 11 chapters. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, based on the, the mercies and grace of God, which is the only sufficient motivation for us as Christians is to live a life of gratitude in view of God's mercy. This is why we serve. This is why I, my life is a living sacrifice. This is why I won't be conformed to the world anymore, but I'll be transformed by the renewing of my mind. It's because here I have this great big view now of 11 chapters of God's mercies, all summed up in Jesus Christ. Everything about God's mercy calls me to follow and give my life as a living sacrifice. So on the basis of God's compassion. Friends, Paul had built the case, the foundational nature of God's mercy, upon which a sinner, like all of us, could be and would be and is in right standing or in a right relationship with a holy and just God. And so Paul, while appealing to their heart on some level, is also appealing to their reason. It's rational. In view of God's mercy, it's only reasonable that you do this. Listen, Paul's not using fear as a motivation because fear will lose its power over time. There's no repentance in fear. Fear makes it difficult 
to endure suffering and trouble when it comes. But the mercies of God are completely different. Think about the parable of the talents. The three servants, right? Two servants were all in, weren't they? They put the five and the two talents to work. When the master came back, he returned. The servants returned that investment, and it had doubled. They entered into the joy of their master. But then there's the third servant. You remember what scripture, what Jesus teaches about him? The third servant said, I knew you to be a hard man. The reality is the third servant didn't know his master at all. He was confused. He was motivated by fear. Fear of his master, which he thought he knew, led him to bury that talent, not invest it, not put it to work, hide it, and all he would do is just return it to the master and hopefully get away with it. Because he knew his, ma- his master, his boss, to be a hard man. He thought he knew, so he buried it. He was motivated by fear. He didn't risk anything. He was not all in. And so here we see the difference. This is why Paul is appealing to the mercies of God. Why do we need his mercy? You may think you don't need his mercy, but you do. We all do. His mercy is the handing over of Jesus at the cross, that his one and only son to be that sacrificial substitute to pay for your sin. And then it's God's freely pouring out his mercy and grace upon us through Jesus Christ. It's seen in Acts chapter 2 when the helper, the Holy Spirit, is poured out upon the church. And when he comes, we still see his grace and mercy today. But friends, one of the worst places to be is thinking you don't need his mercy. We sang this morning, praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. You need his mercy. What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing. He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Listen to what Paul wrote to Titus. Pastor Titus, in chapter 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Boy, doesn't that just sound exciting. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, Titus, Titus, I was just the same, so were you. But when the mercy of God. So in view of God's mercy, on the absolute strength of God's mercies, The God whose mercy and grace can take that slanderer, that man or woman living in their passions and pleasures, pursuing a life of malice and envy and hate and hating others, a life of sin, a life of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. In the strength of God's mercy, Paul has made his appeal to present your body, your life, as a living Sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
Paul's appeal is that we offer or present our bodies as living sacrifices. He used that word offer, present. He used it multiple times in this letter. Offer, present. Romans chapter 6, he said, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Same chapter, verse 19. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So what do we do when we follow Jesus? We daily take up our cross and we present our life to him. We offer our life to him as a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. You work vacation Bible school this week. You know what it is to present your body as a living sacrifice. You stayed on Thursday night late to help reset chairs or move chairs out and do all of this and there is all this stuff that we were doing afterwards. You understand what it is to physically offer your body as a living sacrifice. And last week in chapter 6, we learned that because of our union with Christ, we have died to the power of sin and are no longer slaves to sin. We are now free to offer ourselves, our life, and our body as one who's been brought from death to life. So in view of God's mercy... Paul makes his appeal to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not an emotional appeal. If I could turn on the waterworks, I could get you turning on your waterworks. We could have some music playing in the background, something soft and sentimental, and we could all start crying this morning. And it could make an emotional appeal, but that's not what Paul is doing. He's not, it's not an emotional appeal. It's an appeal, rather, that you are set free by the grace of God. You are living under grace. Therefore, present all that you are to God. We offer, we present. Think about Christ as he died on the cross once and for all. When he did that, Hebrews tells us that that sacrificial system of the Old Testament was over. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament were a foreshadowing of the once and for all sacrifice of Christ at the cross. There is no need for further sacrifice because in Christ it's once and for all. We no longer come to the church house with our goats, our sheep, our birds, our wheats, or our grains unless they're barbecued. Amen? We don't bring our kids for sacrifice, although you might want to. No, we don't do that. Seriously, there was a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And it was for the cleansing of sin as they would go to the temple. But did you also know there's a sacrificial system in the New Testament? It's right there in verse 1. It's right there in verse 1. We aren't sacrificing to make atonement or payment for sin. That's all done and complete in Christ, my friends. But God is asking, Paul is appealing, that we bring ourselves, we put our lives on the altar. Our life is now the sacrifice. It's not a bloody sacrifice, but it is one of service, it's one of worship, and one of submission to our Lord Jesus Christ. Present what? We present our bodies. Friends, we are embodied people, are we not? You're not disembodied, I hope, this morning. You all look like you're embodied. Most of you are awake. The coffee hadn't kicked in for some of you. 
But friends, if you take away your body, you cannot hear, speak, walk, touch, act, or eat bluebell. To offer our body, though, is to offer everything we are. We think. You have a brain. God gave you the mental capacity to think. We are rational beings. We can use reason and logic. We can understand arguments. We can give arguments. We can do math. Two plus two is always going to be four, right? We can work these things out. We can write. We can speak uh, 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 sentences that make sense. Thank you. (laughs) Where's my drummer when I need him? We can feel. We can influence. We can live differently than what the world says to live. But our bodies are important. Our physical bodies are wearing down. But one day, that raggedy old tent's going to be made brand new. And that body will never see decay. But our bodies, Paul called us in Romans chapter 6, our bodies are supposed to be implements of righteousness. We are members of Christ, he says in 1 Corinthians 6.15. Same chapter to the Corinthian church, he says that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of being holy both in body and in spirit in 1 Corinthians 7. Friends, grace, the grace of God isn't just some abstract idea that changes our thoughts, but it affects all of life. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I mean, I'm not one to check your feet, but if you're carrying good news, brother and sister, you've got beautiful feet is what the Bible says. Paul is saying that God does not want a purely inward or abstract worship, but a practical and total one. I think the challenge for us, like on a for on a Sunday morning or any other day of the week that we might gather together, the challenge here is to serve, to study, and to sing. All of those involve every part of our being. It's not just some weird abstract thought out there, but to be practical. He wants us to give him everything we do. Friends, God doesn't like leftovers. Some of you ever have a kid that didn't eat leftovers? It's a weird thing, man. Like, that was so good yesterday. It's better today. It's like a pot of gumbo. Thank you, sister. It just gets better with time. But God doesn't like leftovers. He deserves the all-overs, okay? Everything. Sometimes we come dragging in, and we just don't have much space for God in our lives. That's giving God the what's left of me. He doesn't want what's left of you. He wants all of you. And there's two types of offerings in the scriptures. There's a sin offering and there's a consecration offering. Sin offerings were where the worshiper was shedding the blood of an animal asking for forgiveness. But Hebrews, again, makes that very clear that Jesus did that once and for all. So Paul's not referencing the sin offering. But he is referencing that consecrated place, set apart. Devotion to the Lord. There was a time when Israel didn't bring the leftovers for God. 
But they got into a place in Malachi, in their history, where they did not offer the best. And God knew that they were not offering the best. They were not faithful in offering those sacrifices. Friends, don't be like that. You offer your life, all that you are to God, as a living sacrifice because of his mercies. Give him your best. Give him your all. Set your life apart for him. In all of this, we are living, a living sacrifice. We have to continually renew our position as obedient and at God's disposal. Let's say you walk out this morning after our time together and you're in a place where you are ready, you, you have committed your life today, Lord, I'm, I'm all in. And you wake up tomorrow and life punches you in the face with an uppercut and you're like, but Lord, yesterday, last I checked, Jesus said daily, take up your cross and follow him, right? This is a continual process. Paul is not, this is not a once and for all appeal, but rather it is a continual appeal. Daily, we must daily come to the Lord. Daily keep those mercies in view, the mercies of God. That's why I love Lamentations 3, 23 so much. Every day, those mercies are new, and that must frame our day. It must frame our heart. It must frame our mind, our life for the day. In view of God's mercy, we daily give our lives and our bodies in obedience to God, motivated, called forth, urged because of the view of God's mercy. As we stand at the foot of the cross and see his son our Lord there dying for us. And yet we also see there into the empty tomb that our Savior lives and now calls us to live our life in union with him. And in that union, we have died to our sin and we have risen to, to walk in a new life. And it is in that new life, a life consecrated to him. And then think about that sacrifice. Those sacrifices didn't get up off the altar once they were sacrificed. They didn't get up and walk away. And so, we want to stay on the altar, giving our life as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship, our reasonable worship. Pleasing to God means that it is holy and acceptable. Holy and pleasing to God. Holy describes the quality of life that we should pursue. Holiness. In Peter, Peter tells us that we are to be holy because God is holy. Pleasing describes the results. That was the problem back in Malachi's day when those sacrifices were not the best. The offering was not holy. The offering was not pleasing. Friends, it is actually only in Christ... <laughs> that we could ever be holy and pleasing, okay? So we stay in Christ. We always keep that in view of God's mercy. It is only when we see the mercy of God, we understand the mercy of God, we walk in the mercy of God, that our life would ever be holy and pleasing to the Lord. For my righteousness is as filthy rags before him, but the righteousness of Christ that takes up residence in my life as a gift from Christ to the one who believes is the one that God sees. That's why my life, following and pursuing Jesus in view of God's mercy, that's how he sees us as a living sacrifice. Friends, the gospel motivates, the gospel frees us to live this life that pleases God. 
We don't aim to please man. We don't aim to to earn salvation because faith in Christ is salvation. But we aim to please God. Why? Because he saved us by grace through faith. Those who are in Christ, when we do so out of gratitude. So the sacrifice is an act of spiritual worship. It is the appropriate response to the grace of God. It can mean spiritual in the sense of total and inward from the heart rather than just external and superficial. It means that in light of God's mercy, the offering of our whole selves can be seen as rational or logical. That clear thinking on the subject means the only logical response is to make such a sacrifice of offering our lives to him. Total, complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely, completely, in view of God's mercy, is completely rational. Anything less is completely irrational. But when we look at what Jesus has done for us When you look at the cross and you look at the empty tomb, if it does not move you, if that does not break through the darkness of your soul, you need to wonder and ask the Lord if you understand the gospel at all. The misplaced worship of Romans chapter 1 that we worked through a couple of weeks ago in chapter 12 is replaced by the sinner saved by grace now offering his or her life wherever they are as living sacrifices. It's been said that Paul made worship mobile in Romans chapter 12. No longer is there a sacred time, a sacred place for wherever Christian people are. If they're offering their lives as a living sacrifice, there is holiness, there is worship. We're going to go to chapter, uh, verse 2 next week. Because now Paul calls us to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Still in view of God's mercy. Commitment number two and three, I'll give it to you real quick for those of you that cannot possibly leave without your blank filled. (laughs) Commitment number two, do not be conformed to this world. Commitment number three, be transformed. We'll come back to those next Sunday. Life groups, you're just going to have to deal with it, okay? (laughs) I know you got more questions in there for your life group study. We're just going to hit Romans chapter 12 twice, and that's quite all right. We can never get enough of it, all right? So this morning as we close, I want to reference you back to Psalm chapter 1. Because in Psalm chapter 1, again, and in Romans 12, 1 and 2, there, there are two very distinct patterns pattern of the world versus the pattern of God. 
as we read from Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's something different about this man or this, this woman. Friends, blessed is the man who doesn't allow the world to squeeze him into its own mold. For it is the Spirit of God that is at work within us to bring about renewal as we offer our lives to him. I'll leave you with this old line. There's only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. I urge you on the mercies of God. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus. Jesus.